Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast, dedicated to modern sales and marketing, innovation, and leadership. Here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. I'm joined this week by Tom Pacello, the Chief Evangelist at Mediafly. Some people know him as the ROI guy. He's a successful serial entrepreneur, fellow popular speaker, and author. We're going to talk about the impending death of the B2B sales rep. What types of attributes are necessary for B2B sales reps to survive and thrive? And how to add value with your clients in a proactive rather than responsive way. You're going to learn a ton from Tom Pacello. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ian. Can you start by sharing something surprising about you that our audience may not know? Yeah, I... uh... Back when I was 15, 16 years old, I grew up in uh, Long Island, New York, uh, way out on the island. Well, not too far out in Islip. Many of you have flown in and out of there. And uh, growing up, I uh, was a little bit of a kind of a rock musician in school and uh, joined a wedding band, a bunch of 30 and 40 year olds. And uh, I was a wedding singer, quote unquote, on the weekends and uh kind of cut my teeth in the, in the public eye uh, doing wedding bands at uh, probably some of the most tacky wedding venues and tacky wedding events uh, on Long Island. And uh, this was in the 80s, so it was all about big hair. And uh, we had uh, big hair and ruffled tuxes and big bow ties. So were you the inspiration for Adam Sandler's The Wedding Singer? Or I laugh all the time on that. Uh, that's just a rumor. That's just a rumor. But I, a rumor. I, did meet, I did meet Adam Sandler, and I did ask him that question. <laughs> that's uh... <laughs> that's, that's now, now, now I want to see pictures. We're gonna, we're exactly. gonna get the picture I'm in the, have uh, in the to show notes. One up. Yeah. yeah, you got it. You know what? I, you <laughs> know what? I, I played, in, I played in a band when I was in uh, junior high and high school, and um, I think it's an interesting experience. I just remember being, I remember being a high school student, and we were, at, we were as you know, straight laced and boring as kids could get. Mm-hmm. And I remember going, we we would get booked for college parties. And there were all sorts of substances at these parties that we were oblivious to. And I just remember one night, um, like, the gig was over. We're packing up to leave. And some guy says, so when are you guys going to start? It was, just, <laughs> it, was, it was a great, a great deal of insight into college life in that time, in, that time in America. So, exactly. Kind of, a, kind of a scary thing. Um, so – let me let me ask you because we we want to talk about the idea of the world of B two B sales. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what's the greatest misconception that people have when it comes to B two B selling? Yeah, one of my favorite misconceptions, and one that's been debated quite a bit, um, is I, I remember sitting in the audience. This must have been five or six years ago at a Forrester B two B selling event. And uh, an analyst, Andy Hoare, gets on the stage and in front of this entire audience of B2B sales leaders and executives, he basically says one million of the five million sales reps that are in B2B are going to be out of a job by 2020. And um, he went on to present this new research. They had done some studies and one in five, about 22% of 
B2B reps, um, he indicated, were going to go the way of the dodo bird. And um, it was quite surprising. Obviously, the audience was aghast. And in fact, that was the last year that Forrester did an independent B2B uh, selling um, event. Uh, they combined it with marketing, and they really felt like a lot of these uh, what they considered kind of low-value sales reps were going to be replaced with uh, the Internet. And folks were doing a lot more self-service, certainly a lot more research online. You could order the e-commerce, uh, you know, Amazon. And basically the traditional order taker was going to go and um, be out of business. But they went further than that. And they said, you know, AI, machine learning, uh, other uh technologies were going to also put a lot more of the uh, kind of traditional B2B sales rep at risk. So, you know, those that kind of show up and throw up about the company, product, services, features, and price, things that you could find on the internet on your own, they're going to be engaged later. And because of that, you're going to need less of them. And so they're going to be at risk. And the only value added uh, folks, those that are consultants, you know, that investigate the challenges that you should address and the business value you can achieve, or those that kind of help facilitate and navigate the complex, ever more complex buyer's journey, they're going to be perceived still as valuable. And in fact, uh, they're going to add to their ranks, but not nearly enough to replace out the um, more commodity sales reps. And so do you have a sense of how that's played out? Because if it was five years ago and we're in 2019 now, yeah, we're right around the corner. Or, or, or by the nature of podcasts, someone's going to be listening to this a year from now saying, wait, that's today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. So what are the numbers? So um, it, it's good because I was just with uh, Mary Shea, another great analyst over at Forrester, in fact, one of my favorite. And um, we were having this exact um, discussion. And she said, you know, it's not 1 million today. Um, it's actually 1.5 million and it's ahead of the prediction. So we're not even at 2020. And she's indicating that 1.5 million have been disintermediated. Now, where have those reps gone? You know, some have gone on to other careers. Um, a lot of sales has moved to the channel and to inside sales. And then um, some of these folks have moved over into new roles like customer success. So it's definitely shifting around quite a bit. However, she did indicate that, you know, the consultants and the navigators are that much more valuable and that they too have been adding to those ranks, um, sales executives, um, a lot more. So there are more consultants and navigators than predicted, but there's also a lot less explainers and order, order takers. Um, and now 1.5 million of those are now in different roles within the organization or you know, in, the, in the unemployment line. So, so what, I, what I wonder is, given, and given the level of unemployment, I'm guessing there aren't a lot of people who have great selling skills sitting around eating bonbons waiting for the phone to ring. No. Um, no, they're probably exactly. fine. And it sounds like, in many respects, the way that Forrester is reporting this, it's, well, people are now in different roles. So they might not have a job exactly. that says sales, but, for example, many of the organizations I work with have started a customer success department. Exactly. And guess what? That customer success department drives 40% of the company's revenue. Yeah, especially for recurring revenue companies, subscription companies, software as a service. They become vital. And – um 
you know, but they too have moved more to be consultant like and a lot less order takers. You know, if you want to renew, you could just go online and renew or the contract order renews. So they're there um, making sure that the customer is well supported, making sure adoption is being uh, performed. So they have had to elevate their skills as well, but in a different area. And Tom, I guess what we're getting at is this, is that it's not so much that, gee, the need for B2B sales is declining. Rather, the old school order taker, stereotypical in-your-face salesperson, that there's less of a need for. But the subject matter expert, the person who is the consultative seller who's really striving to find a fit, are we seeing there actually there actually is an increase in need for that rather than a decrease? Absolutely, and companies are having a hard time finding that. So there's really two value-added archetypes that you can think of. One is the more consultative uh, seller, the ones that go and help you to identify the challenges that you really should be addressing, helping you to prioritize those. Uh, benchmarking you against the competition and trying to give you a competitive edge, recommending solutions that'll fit that, and then really helping to predict and then drive the outcomes, positive business outcomes from those solutions. And that's what I call kind of that consultative archetype. Then there's another interesting archetype and uh, interesting characteristics that are also very, very valuable. And Gartner in their research has hit on this. Um, those subject matter experts are hard to create, and you can use technology and tools like assessment tools, ROI tools, things like that to help enable that consultative sales rep to be good. But an archetype that's also very valuable or perceived as very valuable by the buyer and performs well is uh, what Gartner calls a navigator. What's happened in the B2B buying process is it's really de-evolved. There's Way more decision makers, corporate executive board did a great job of kind of highlighting that now we've got these big buying committees, multiple roles on those buying committees. It's hard for the internal champion. It's hard for you as a seller to gain consensus with those decision makers. And as a result, even though solutions are easier to investigate, easier to evaluate, easier to buy and deploy, the whole purchase is taking two times longer than expected, and 94% of buyers have participated in a buying cycle where it's just been canceled, and the, and the team just chooses to do nothing. They're so afraid and risk-averse, and something comes up, two of the stakeholders don't agree, you don't reach consensus, and bam, you've wasted all of that precious time. And so what's happening is there's this navigation concept that, that's important. So not only do you need to have consulting skills, but you also have to help the buyer to navigate their own journey. And, and the thought is that you've gone through this before with two or three other companies, or at least your, your organization, even if you're a new sales rep, has gone through this before. They know that you're going to be asked for those security documents, the GDPR documents. And the good seller proactively provides those at the right time in the decision-making process, you know that they're going to consider two or three other competitors and you're giving them an evaluation sheet. You know they need a business case for the CFO and you're proactively providing that business case. So you know at every stage what the barrier is going to be, what they need to do internally to gain consensus from that buying committee, and you're facilitating that buyer's journey. You're helping the buyer to navigate it. 
because, and this according to Gartner, two-thirds of the buyer's journey time, two-thirds of it is gathering, processing, and deconflicting information. So there's the friction. And so there's one end that's, you know, you're, you're basically, as a consultant archetype, you're, you're the inspiration. You're the spark. Um, you're the advisor. And then there's this other aspect where you're the one that's, um, you know, removing the friction as the navigator. And I think those two skills, if you're able to instill those in your sales force through learning, through uh, sales enablement platforms, and through the, the skills of who you hire and who you put into those roles, you know, those are the two key um, archetypes that we need to kind of uh, build within the organization. And those will be the value-added resources that your buyers value, which is the most important, the buying experience, and that will um, help you to increase that sales performance that you so desperately want. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you brought this topic up because it's something that I think it's overlooked often and something that when, when I speak, I, I, I share a fair amount, which is oftentimes the client – the, uh, some, a seller will come in and the client says, oh, here's what I want you to do next. Mm-hmm. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. Um, and it makes no sense. It actually isn't in their best interest. And sellers get really frustrated by this. And people talk about, oh, but that's just – that's the that's the buyer's journey. That's the process they're going through. And one of the, one of the suggestions that I make, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on it, mm-hmm. is what I tell people is, look, one of the best things you can do – is come in with with something that early on in the process you say, you know, there, there's a process that we've seen from doing this for years. There's a series of steps that we see the companies who get the greatest return tend to follow. Mm-hmm. Are, are you open to us sharing that with you? Mm-hmm. And very often they'll say, oh, yeah, great. And now we get to help them understand the steps along the way and who might be involved and where there's communication. And it's not just during the sales process, but we have to think about is here are the steps that help you as a client get the greatest return on whatever it is you may be investing in. It's part of the evaluation itself, but it's also, and once you buy, here are the next four steps to ensure that you get the best results. So, so what's your, what's your take on that? Yeah, I'm totally with you. So sellers have been trained to be really responsive to customers. And, and of course, that's a good thing, right? So when they request a presentation, give a presentation. When they request a demo, you request, you know, you go and do the demo. But unfortunately, it seems to be like um, they're responding exactly to that. And they're not asking enough questions to make sure that that is the best next step or that is the exact route that should be taken. So I do think that there are a lot of opportunities to reframe, and I think there's a lot of opportunities to co-create the journey with the customer as opposed to just responding to requests and being kind of their puppet because they don't know the right process, and you do because you've been through it three, four, five, six times. And a lot of times they're surprised by steps in the process that they didn't realize they had to go through. And unfortunately, we see sometimes sellers that are surprised by the same thing. Oh, I can't believe this customer is asking for, um, you know, our, our SSAE 16 um, certification or uh, documents or audit documents. I can't believe they're asking for, for penetration so tests. I'm so surprised because GDPR, everyone yeah. has asked for this. Exactly. Everyone has asked for it. Yeah. 
sellers still seem to be frustrated. And then where is it is the other question that, that sometimes you get. It's like, where can I find that stuff? Well, it's exactly in the same place it was last time and it's in the repository. And, you know, yeah. and so um, you really have to teach them to own that journey and to be experts in that journey as well as experts in the, the business problems and the consultation. And that's a lot, right, oh, yeah. to, to own and manage as a sales rep because you not only have to be expert in the solutions, you also have to pivot to be expert in the business problems and the use cases that you're solving for the customer and the value you can derive. And now we're saying, okay, you also need to be expert in the process and the journey that they're going to go through and be proactive in that journey. Now, the good thing is if you are able to make the pivot that you talk about, Ian, when another great piece of Forrester research is 74% of sellers who are able to help the buyer set the agenda and take ownership, just like you're talking about, they get the deal. And 26%, they win the shootout. So it's about engaging early. It's about helping the buyer to understand the journey. It's about solving specific problems with your solution. Don't just jump to the solution and then you're in a shootout with the other solutions. You know, basically go in and identify the unique problems and challenges you're going to solve and get out of that demo RFP response mode and instead help them to really manage the buyer's journey and, sure. and set the agenda. Yeah. Sure. And I mean, and these are, these are all themes that for our audience will make perfect sense. These are all central components to, to same side selling, which is all about yeah. figuring out what we're trying to solve for them. The, the example that I often give people when they don't quite get this is I say, look at it this way. Imagine if you had some sort of procedure going on, you were about to have surgery. Mm-hmm. Like, would you want the doctor who looks at you and says, so uh, how do you think we should do this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You don't, you don't want the doctor asking you where they should cut. You want a doctor who says, look, so here's the process. Here's the prep. You're going to get here at this time. We're going to do this. We're going to mark this area. We're going to take into this area. Here are the antibiotics we're going to prescribe. Here's all the stuff we do beforehand. I'm going to give you very little information about the actual surgery because I don't want to freak you out. And then here's what the recovery looks like. And, gee, right now you're in this high risk because of this situation. And a month from now, you'll forget you even had the procedure. Yeah. And that's what, that's what we're looking for as customers, which is I want someone who understands my situation, can help me understand what happens if I don't solve it, and can show me what the outcome is going to be and what steps I have to follow to get there. Exactly. And that prescriptive kind of route is exactly what you need to do and what these two archetypes are so adept at. Uh, the ones that are going to be successful, the ones that we want to put in place so that we as sales leaders are successful. And it's not a matter of, you know, just blindly prescribing, right? And it's not a matter of asking the buyer um, questions throughout the process. You know, do you, you know, here's what I'm prescribing is the treatment. Here are the side effects or, you know, here's the course of action that we want you to take. Does that map, you know, to, to, your lifestyle. No, you, you can't take pills. You need liquid. Okay. So there, there's a give and take here. And I think people say, shy away from this because they're like, well, I'm not going to go in and tell them how to buy. They already have a buying process. Yeah, 
you're right in some ways, but you're not in others in that they have not bought your solution before. They really don't know how to buy it. And, and, um, what, they, yeah. and, and Tom, what, what I would argue is this, is that one of the things that I think people get trapped in sometimes is they get trapped in this notion of, so, so let me tell them how to buy. And I think that mm-hmm. you can sometimes get pushback if you're a seller walking in to say, here's how you should buy our stuff. Yeah. So the, the subtle distinction that I try to introduce to this is this notion of here's the process that we follow with people who have gotten the best results. Yeah, best outcomes. Yeah. Now, now, guess what? Part of that is the process of buying, but part of it is also the process of after you bought, how do you realize those results? And if you're if you're helping someone discover the process to go through that generates the best results – they're probably going to be way more receptive than if you just said, here's the best way for you to buy from us because, mm-hmm. let's face it, too many salespeople have lied to people in the past. So the client may, for some uncanny reason, not trust your process for how to buy. Totally agree. And who gets involved in the process? Who buys into the solution and the predicted outcomes? Um, important. Who's involved once the solution is installed to assure success again? So it's all part of the process to basically assure the outcome and really focus on that and uh, completely agree. Yeah, it was, it's funny. I was, I was working with a company recently who does a lot of work in the hospitality industry in terms of managing food costs. Mm-hmm. And so people were complaining. They said, well, the problem we have is that you know, whether it's a general manager or whether it's a purchasing person or a senior executive – they're bought into this program that's going to reduce their food costs, but then the chef is resistant uh-huh. to participate. And I said, okay, well, so how important is it the chef is bought in? This is 100%. They have, to be, they have to be bought in. I said, okay. So what if you help them illustrate that in order to get the best results, at step three, you have to have the chef involved? Uh-huh. Well, can we tell them that? Absolutely. I mean – do you think they not? You think they don't want to get the best results? Of course they do. And so when you map that out, now here's the funny part. Imagine you're talking to two different vendors. One vendor is talking about the stuff they want to sell you, and the other vendor is talking about how you're going to get the best results for whatever you're considering buying. Mm-hmm. Who would you rather work with? Well, naturally, the person focused on the results, and it pivots everything. And you may actually be willing to spend more for the people focused on the results than the other people, or as I like to say, how much less would you have to pay for it to be a good deal if you don't get the results that you need? Completely agree. And that's really where the experience becomes one of the key differentiators and why the consultant and the navigator are the proper archetypes because they're they're truly creating a different buying experience And as solutions start to, from a buyer's perspective, appear very um, little differentiation between the the solutions they have. Um, For example, in our sales enablement space that that we sell into at Mediafly, there are a number of different providers. In fact, there seems to be a new one every day. And it's very hard to quickly understand the differences between the solutions. But we go in with a completely different experience when we go to engage with customers. We introduce value and outcomes 
very, very early in the process. We don't talk about the solutions. We talk about a methodology called evolved selling and a set of practices that will ultimately get you to the outcome and don't introduce the solutions, you know, sometimes to um, seller's frustration till much later because they're being asked for demos. And we basically say, look, it's not about the demo because all these solutions after they see two or three are going to look the same and they're going to um, get confused and freeze. It's more about making sure that they're addressing the right challenges that their sellers are having, that they're, they're focusing on the right issues that are a priority for them and that they understand the outcomes that can be generated. Because once they know there's an outcome big enough to solve, then that's a whole different um, you won't get a buying process that de-evolves into a no decision. They'll know it's a big enough issue where sellers are spending five hours a week customizing 200-page PowerPoint decks to deliver to, to customers in briefings, and that's costing $5 million a year for that sales force. You know, obviously, that's a big problem to solve, and spending Half a million dollars on that is a huge return on investment. And think about it, not just saving the five million in productivity loss, but the 20 to 50 million in lost sales because they're not selling when they're customizing those presentations. So you get it focused on the outcome and then you eventually tie the solution to it. So completely um, with you, Ian, in terms of the, the approach and that different buying experience is really the differentiator, not necessarily the solution that you're selling anymore. Yeah, that's that's yeah, a, yeah. that's, that's right. a part that I think a lot of people overlook, which is, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to win because I can check more boxes on my feature set. Now, yeah. you're going to win when the client feels you're going to get better results from you per invested dollar than with somebody else. Yeah, I think I think you win when you when you tie. So when we think about the buy buttons that are in the brain. Emotions is a big driver. Some claim that it's responsible for about 90% of the purchase decision. We think it's more like 50%. And then you have logic and trust as the other two components, kind of at, let's say, 25% a piece. And you have to hit on all three of those buy buttons, and in particular, in a specific order in the methodology that we've created. And in that, you've got to trigger the emotions first. So if you're the seller that goes in and can help really identify and illuminate those pains and amplify them to the point, not artificially, but amplify them to, as I said, like with that, that sales example, your sellers are spending five hours a week minimum customizing these unwieldy PowerPoints. Um, There's got to be a better way, you know, it's costing you so much money, lost selling time, lost productivity. And here's what that amount is and the cost to do nothing. Then they're emotionally bought into solving that problem. And that really needs to be the first thing. Then second, you need to kind of tie that to logic and justification and say, um, you know, here's what the solution can provide in a presentation wizard that'll automate all of the assembly and get them, you know, 95% of the way there. And then they're just putting some minor tweaks in and personalization and they're not dealing with those big decks anymore. And then here's how much you can save from that. And then trust throwing, putting up and showing them and providing with them three, four case studies of people in their industry that have solved that exact problem with their testimonials right there and exactly how much they saved. And so that triplet, in the storytelling that you're getting into will help them to emotionally, logically, and 
um, credibly connect with what you're trying to do. And, and that's kind of the reshaped experience, I think, that we have to deliver to the prospects. Yep. You know what? I, I love it. It, 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 tie, it ties so closely with the concepts of same-side selling that I think mm-hmm. that our audience right now is all probably nodding their head going, yep, yep, yep. But there may, it may even be an amen out in the uh, audience right now. <laughs> Well, as the chief evangelist in my new title, I like hearing amens. Exactly. And (laughs) and it occurs to me, we did not have a chance to talk about the Frugalnomics Survival Guide. So we'll have to have you back to talk about that at a future date. Tom, what's what's the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, Tom, uh, Tom Pacello on LinkedIn. And at T Pacello on uh, Twitter. So, and, there, and, uh, and just so everyone knows, there are two L's in that, and we'll all be in the show notes. So, Tom, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. Love the thank conversation. You, thanks, Ian. Great conversation. Tom's messages resonate so well with the same side selling audience. Let me give you a quick recap of the key things that I think can make a difference in your business right away. Remember, those B2B reps kind of the old school people, those jobs are going away. And even though they've renamed them and put them into other positions, the real key is figuring out which role you play in the organization. Are you one of these consultative subject matter experts? Or are you a navigator who's helping people through the process? I love that piece of Forrester Research. It says 74% of those who set an agenda end up winning the business. There's a great lesson in there. And the remaining 26% are just hopeful they're going to win in the shootout, and you don't want that to be you. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic I should cover or a guest I should have on the program, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, especially your customer.